position. Okay. So um, I would like to, obviously, I want to talk about the situation which has developed in the country over the last two weeks. It's getting a little bit better right now. Um, there was an individual who was killed by the police. He was killed in a way which was, was clearly cruel, clearly lacking of mercy. Um, arguably, he was racist. Um, George Floyd. And uh, somebody took, took a, uh, a video of it and then shared this video. And uh, the result has been protests across the country. Protests against the police brutality, against the racism, etc. It has devolved in many places to beyond protests into riots, into looting, etc. It has reached a point where there are many people which are pushing to defund the police, or at least move a large amount of sources of funding for the police to social services, etc., with the theory that if we do that, so the situation will develop better for these people, these individuals, and by that, therefore there will be less crime, and therefore there will be no need for the police. And in, in the third period, we're going to have to come up with some type of an idea of how to deal with that. So that's, uh, so that, what, to most of us, that was unthinkable, such a conversation a few weeks ago, right, all of a sudden has become a topic of conversation, the possibility of, not ha of defunding totally the Minneapolis Police Department, right, basically abolishing the police department. So you're going to live in a city that there's no police department. So I would like to talk about, um, I think, what has developed, what, what has happened and my understanding of it. Um, and if you don't agree with that, if you don't support that, we're going to shut you down, we're going to protest against you, we're going to call you names, we're going to call you racist. We're going to shame you publicly to the point until you basically acquiesce to our attitude. Okay, so really I have about uh, 10 points I want to cover. Uh, one of the, a few of them are specifically addressing what do I think is the appropriate reaction that, that as, as a Ventura, as a member of Christ, so how would you react to this situation? The, that so, so a person was killed in some, such a fashion. That's one topic. But the second topic I want to talk about is how do you deal with a situation we're living in a society which seems to have a, a whole, totally different set of understanding, way of looking at something than we do? How do we deal with that? Um, and what lessons can we take for ourselves from that situation? Okay, I'm going to start with that that topic, that point first. Uh, the Benyurna in Parshas Bahar, in the Gaius of Pasuk Parshas Bahar, the Torah said that the Christ was sold as an Evadibri. So Lesavimayavod is the history of treating him like an Evad, the Evadis of him. So actually says it means asking him to do work, which is unnecessary just to show your authority, your power over him, etc. The Benyurna takes that which is specifically talking about an Ibri in that instance, and he makes it into a general statement that a person of authority, a person of power, cannot use his power to force people to do things that they, they don't want to do. So for example, he says if you have a Talmud Chochum, you have a, a Rav, who people respect, and he wants something to get done, and he knows you don't want to do it, but if he asks you, you're not, you would feel embarrassed to say no. According to the that's an Easter Beraisa, the by taking advantage of my power, of my authority, 
to force you to do something that you do not want to do, I'm over this to the rice. And so the Rebbe understands that pasuk. So he takes the pasuk, which is very, very specific about the issue, about an about an Evan Ivri and his master, and he globalizes it to any situation where I have power over you. So this could be a parent to a child, this could be a Rebbe to a Talmud, this could be a principal to the students in his school, this could be a, a, a rub in his community, this could be a police per, person on the police force, this could be the media shaming us, etc. So what is the root behind what he's saying? I think what he's saying, what, what it says to me, is that there's a famous saying that uh, power corrupts, and absolute power, power corrupts absolutely. So one of the one of those noble endeavors which took place in the last 150 years, at least conceptually, was the experiment called communism. Communism was recognizing that there was a, a group of people on top, extremely wealthy, taking advantage of all the people beneath them, abusing this concept over here, and in a, in a terrible way. So what's the solution? Let's spread the wealth amongst everybody. Everybody will get wealth, everyone will contribute what they're able to contribute, and we'll have this utopian society. So on paper, it sounded beautiful. When we see the application of communism in reality, whether it was in Russia, whether it was in China, whether in other countries, what happened was that the people in power abused their power. And this happens all the time. That the people which are in a situation of power force you to do what they think is right. Not what's good for you, but what they think is right. And they're willing to expand you, if necessary, if that, to the point of in communist Russia. I, I, I once read a statistic that for the, the years of Stalin, last, last 20 years of Stalin, from 1934 to 1954, I think it was when he, when he was when he died, um, he killed on the average of 3,122 people a day. Okay, think about that number. He killed 3,100 people daily for 20 years straight to keep his utopian society going, right? I mean, that's, that's crazy. Well, he had something he believed in, and it became so important to him that he was willing to take advantage of you, the average person. That's just for better right. There's power. You're the other, you can make them do whatever you want. You're the Rebbe, you can make the town do whatever you want. You're the media, and I can make you think whatever I think is right. And if you don't, I will shame you to the point that you must agree with me. So anytime we're going to use power, whether it's social, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's intellectual, to force into something which I think is right for you, even though you do not necessarily, it's not necessarily the best thing for you, I'm over this history of fundamental young. So if you'd ask me, what is the problem, what, what is the challenge of, of the police department? Is that every policeman is in a very difficult situation. I believe that most policemen go into the field, go into the work, because they want to help you. But part of this job is sometimes to be brutal. You have to be able to use force. You have to use, use force forcefully. You can't be hesitant. At the times where you have to be able to shoot. So the Pusik says, 
when we Yeshua here already does us, we also call Rachel me Rechamcha. So the Arachayim Kodesh puts him to Zal. So they, they destroy and they already die. Now what? The Pesach says, We're going to get mercy. We're going to get mercy. Hashem will have mercy on you. So what is the double lush? He says, Hashem will have mercy on you. You've done the right thing. You'll get mercy. The Russian promises you, even though you've done an act, which is an act of cruelty, wiping out a city, you will remain people which are merciful. Because the natural reaction to being a person who becomes does something which is cruel and brutal, he becomes a cruel and brutal person. So here we are, we're going to take people which we're, we're accustoming them sometimes to be use power force against somebody. Now, this issue of being traumatized by the police, I've never had it personally. Um, but my, my wife has had it. She got one time the police you know, pulled over for something in front of my daughter. My daughter was in the car. And he was screaming at my wife for no reason at all, other than that he's the police and he could tell her what to do. My daughter was traumatized, even over wife. Right? So this idea that police traumatize and, and, and are brutal is only not only to black people, it's to white people also. Because that is the nature of the beast of what it means to be a person who has power. So if you ask me what they need to, to correct, it's to recognize that this is going to be the challenge of what it means to be a policeman. And not to give them cultural training to be sensitive to other cultures, but to give them training what it means to be sensitive to the fact that you have power. Power is the is 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 an apparatus. Power is something which can be used for benefits. The policeman who will jump, who will shove in the line and protect somebody, a tremendous power. And it's also something which can be easily abused. Independent of whether it's black or it's white, etc. So I think that the first issue we have to understand is this is a challenge which exists in any situation of power. And the same way it exists in the situation of power when the police are, are challenged with that. So we've created now a protest in the country which is so powerful that you have people who would not necessarily agree with that feel forced to agree with it. That's also abusing power. It's also an act of being taking my authority and my, over you and wielding it on, on top of you. So, in one example, just I have an individual who he thinks conservatively, etc. And he says he's working in, 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 in NIH. He cannot open his mouth, he says, because he will be socially shamed to the point that he will ostracize if he says anything against what, what, what the group think is. So group think is a form of abuse as well. Okay, so that's, I think, the first challenge is that we all are all going to have situations in our life where which we're, we're going to do that. That's the first point. Um, second point, specifically about this, is Hasemus also actually partial to heart. Hasemus says, the puzzle says, when the case in group, uh, when one, one individual Chayasil has become impoverished, you have a mitzvah to help him. The Chayachifa, you mark, you have to help him. That's the highest mitzvah of higher than regular stalker. Take, take hold of him before he falls, make sure he doesn't fall. And Rasha means the, the marshal of a, if you have a load on a femur in the back of the femur, if you, if it falls off, it's very hard to get back on. Once it, if it's still on and you sort of balance it, one person can do it, if it falls off, you need multiple people to do it, it's very hard. Take, take care of him before he falls. That's a possible kind of thing. When it comes to Svasevim, Svasevim says a fascinating thing. Look at this passage and says, how many lessons are we going to have this book? So number one, he tells me, you have responsibility for other people. 
Number two, the Pasuk tells me that you can be successful in helping other people. I don't believe I can do it. I don't, my, my, my contribution will make a difference. I don't think I have the power to do it. I'm a nobody. Who am I? No, no, you're a somebody. But then he says a third thought, and I think that's the most important thought over here. He says, why is it like this? Why is it that this is the way the world is set up? He says, because the Russian made the world that nobody has everything all by himself. No man can exist by himself. I must command other people in the world. That's the concept of Chesed Yibam. The Russian made a world of Chesed. Yubaruchim, in the 1920s, predicted the, 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 the demise of the communist theory experiment. He says, because the Russian created a world built on Chesed. And he remains the Chesed of each other. Russian made world, you have to be do chesed for each other. It's impossible to exist without chesed. When you take away everything the person has and make it belong to the state, he has nothing to do chesed with anymore. So you push it, you take the person and you, and, and you dehumanize him as a human being. Because the definition of the human is the ability to affect other people. Positive. The Russian made the world of like that. So Zelotuski has a fascinating story. He said he was doing an a, a, a exercise in Hakar Satoy, realizing how much he gets benefit from the world. So he said, you know, let's take the thought of how many people, how many people help me have one of my basic, basic uh, needs, basic uh, commonplace occurrences, a cup of coffee. How many people are involved in getting me a cup of coffee? Right, well, so there's a plantation in Brazil, where they grow the coffee, and there's hundreds of workers in that plantation. Who, uh, but they fertilize it. They put in a certain amount. So there's engineers which come in and, and calculate exactly, soil experts, how much they should put in all those different things. It should be the right acidity. It should have the good flavor. But who taught those engineers? They were taught in schools. Now, who built the schools? Okay. Now, how did you get it from the plantation to me? Well, you loaded it in trucks. Who built the, tr the trucks? Who built the roads? Who built the ports? The ships? Who sailed? Who, who manned the ships? Right? The sailors? To bring it to America? Who unloaded the containers? Who brought it to the, to, to the Nescafe plants and made it? And who were the engineers which put together, everything together in the plants? So you say he's writing as he's doing this. Describing how many, people are, how many thousands, of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are involved in bringing that one cup of coffee from Brazil to, to, to my house. That's just the coffee. What about the water? What about the water systems which were built? What about the milk? What about the sugar? What about the, the gas? What, right? Each one of those, there's hundreds of thousands. He says he had this profound feeling, emotion of gratitude. He realized that over a million people were involved in bringing him one cup of coffee this morning. The Russian made the world we cannot exist in ourselves. Animals, there's some animals which, which are loners. They can exist on their own. Human beings in general cannot make it themselves. I need somebody to mission them. I need somebody to help me. I'm a good baker, but I'm not a good tailor. I need clothing. Someone makes clothing for me. Okay, but I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to plant. Okay, somebody, somebody does the planting for me. We're always in the need of other people. Why the Russian make it like that? It's just two reasons. Number one, it makes me into something like a Kurdish border. I'm a no-say. If you need me, I can give to you. 
So I become like a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Rosh Hashanah, human beings be like a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Second of all, it's humility. Our Rishon was Yafidi. He was never Yafidi, all by himself. Rosh Hashanah says, no, 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 he's going to become a, he's going to become a Godazar. Rosh Hashanah says, Esau Le'ezer Kenegdom. I'm going to make another human being which will be with him, which will be opposite of him. Kenegdom. So the Ezer, the biggest help is someone who is different than you. What is the biggest challenge, especially forgive me, but what is the biggest challenge that we have of somebody who is different than us? You know, he's stronger than me. I can live with that. He's smarter than me. He knows more than me. That's very shameful. Because we have a tremendous respect for understanding and for knowledge. The Pasuk says that he came to know his wife. His version made his wife think different than him. Most young men will get married to young women. Right? I'm saying that for a reason. Besides the fact that I want to divorce. Right? They, they find women are very different than men. So when they engage, you know, they, they basically yeah, they, they agree on everything, etc. Then they get married all of a sudden, they're like, I do the Shalom Bias problems. Right? You know, everything is different. Right? He says this, she says that. He says A, she says B, she says Z, you know, like, you know. And, and she's so logical. Now, the Russian couldn't make women logical. Like, that's, that's, the, you know, that's the unspoken question that the men are really asking. Right? The Russian didn't want to make them logical because he wanted to tell you that sometimes emotion is the right way to react to something. So, but it's illogical. I remember I had a conversation with a with, with the, with the, with the young man who was married. He says, but it's so illogical. Okay, so said, okay, so you're proving that you're right that it's totally logical, because otherwise it's illogical. So that's proving a, a, an argument based on itself, which is, by the way, one of a fallacy in logic. It's called illogical. You can't prove that it's right to be logical, because otherwise it's illogical. Because you're proving yourself from itself. That's an illogical statement. Says so you were just illogical, by the way. Don't he didn't like that very much. Right? That was illogical. So the child comes home from school. He's had a really difficult day. And he comes in, and the father says, Musa, how was that in school? He had a hard day in school. You know, you'll do better tomorrow. You've got to try harder. That's a logical thing to say, you know? Today was today, tomorrow is tomorrow. Right? It was such a hard day, etc. Who, who responded better, the father or the mother? The mother did. So it's not always that happens, and everything has to be logical. So that's just one marshal. The point I'm trying to say is, Russia took knowledge and understanding of right and wrong and spread it out over the whole world. I cannot get it myself. Arlamachasikibana means I can't get it from other people. Ezo Bako, hello, hello, you cannot figure it out all yourself. By definition, you can't. Because if you could, you would not need anybody else. There'd be no need for Kesset. The worship made a world which you must command other people. So what I'm telling you, I think, is 100% right. There's nothing to talk about. And, and, and what are you talking about even? And if you say, look, I'm just giving you the other make fun of you because it's ridiculous. What are we doing? What just happened? Maybe you have a good point. Maybe there's something I don't know that you know. I'm not. The, I'm God's gift to man. I can't figure everything out. I'm scared. I put my ego on the line. So the mitzvah of half the mitzvah of the all the all the 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 siddish the dialogue. Always stresses the good of a half a rechel You have to love yourself first. 
and then you kill off somebody else. This is the third point. Marshall Rabbit created a world of chesed. This is simply a world of chesed in the world of knowledge. I must get knowledge from somebody else. I can't figure it out all myself. The Haftarecha Kamoicha. The Haftarecha Kamoicha means I believe in myself. I know that I'm valuable. I know that I have good things to say. And I'm so comfortable with that, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. But if I'm not comfortable with that, every time you say a swear which makes more sense to me, I feel diminished. So what's my solution? I make it to somebody that I don't have to listen to because otherwise I'm going to be diminished. I don't like being diminished. It's very comfortable to be diminished. Because every person needs to feel that they're valuable. So if I have a guru who tells me that I'm sitting in a base medrash and he says that his pshat is right and my pshat is wrong, he's attacking me, as not, not my pshat, but me as a human being. Because I, my ego gets tied up with my pshat. I'm a good person because I'm intelligent. How, how do I know I'm intelligent? Because I prove I said a good pshat. If I said I'm not, not a good pshat, I'm not intelligent, I'm not a good person. I can't deal with that. So what's the answer? I scream. Right? You know, when, when, when you can't prove based on arguments, yell loudly. That doesn't work, punch him, right? I sure I used to always say we're joking, but that there's an argument between Smanoza and Cardoza. It's not really true, but anyway. So, um, in the end, Cardoza won the argument. So I said, hey, punch him in the nose. He won the argument. So I have to come to it, recognize that that's okay, that you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. There's nothing out of that. We have greater respect for a person who's comfortable saying that he's wrong than a person who refuses to admit that he's wrong. Because it means he's a person who's comfortable with who he is, and he, he has tremendous strength inside of him. That he's comfortable. You know what? I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You will look at our society and look at apologies. If I offended somebody and, and I said something, I didn't really mean it, and I really didn't read the whole article, I didn't realize that I was. I was tweeting the rest of the article about the, bad, the other part was anti-Semitic. I didn't really think about the consequences. Say, if I offended him, I'm sorry. So what are you going to say? It wasn't my fault. That's what you just said, right? There's a mitzvah of vidur, harshus nosa. What's the mitzvah? It says one word, katosin. Say it straight. I did something wrong, period. The merchant says, what's the case? He told me the case over here of a, of a person, never, he's a gear, and he has no children. I mean, let's say the argument said he was rich. Not, did I really hurt him by taking any money from him? Not really. I can rationalize. There's excuses why I did what I did. What's the video? No, 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 no excuses. I did something wrong. How much? Period. So you start spending more, you get married, you know, you know, you know, you know the husband something to the wife, you know, says that. Here, I really forgot what I did, but I want to explain to you why I did it. Is that an apology? You think the wives like that as an apology? No, it's an apology, it's an excuse. Say, I'm sorry, you did something wrong. Admit that you did something wrong. Be a man and admit it. That's the same. Well, any person who can't, could we're scared to diminish ourselves. So we live in a society which is very scared of diminishing themselves. They can't admit that there's another way to look at something. Um, we had this conversation before somebody asked me, um, you know, which political party did I belong to? And the answer I belong to neither. Because some, some points of the Republicans say I think is correct. Some points of the Democrats, Democrats say I think is correct. To think that one party has all the answers is a combination of gaiva and a fear of admitting that, you, that you, you're going to be diminished by saying that somebody else is smarter than you. 
you can't hear another sound. So you can have a situation which, which I witnessed. We had a Fu individual standing in front of the polling place a few years ago when they, they had on the ticket in Maryland um, to legalize um, or give recognition to marriage of the same gender, two people of the same gender. And he, as a film Jew, is standing outside the polling place. As a Democrat polling, that you should vote yes. Even though Reverend Rosen will get up and children and said, you may not do that. Because I'm a Democrat, and Democrats are always right. So otherwise, I'm not, a, I'm not a good Democrat. Well, that's what we've done. We've created this, this narrative that you have to be always right. Because we're scared to admit that we're wrong, because we'll be, we'll be diminished. Okay. Um, the next step is, so what do I do? How do, we, how, do I, how do I do that? So I make you into the other side, the people which are unintelligent. I call your names. I dehumanize you in some way. So there I don't have to listen to you. I've listened to human beings. But you people are, are racist. So you're, you're, you're misogynists. You're anti-feminists. You're, you're deplorables. So I don't listen to you. Or the other side says the other side is animal heads. You know, Republicans say that, you know, Democrats, you know, you hear. Well, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? So I don't have to hear the other side because they're so ridiculous. They're, they're, they're so bad. Or they're so stupid. I don't listen to that. Because if somebody's intelligent saying something, I'm going to listen to them. There's something wrong with me. So the solution is not, not that something wrong with me. I'm going to put a label on them. And that's what our society is doing. Oversimplify. Um, catchphrases. Okay. Till two weeks ago, the, the, the progressive line about opening up the economy was, you care about your money more than people's lives. Is that really the issue of money versus life? Are people saying that part of the human experience is being able to take care of other people and having responsibilities? And a person who's spent 60 years of his life, 50 years of his life, building something up is being destroyed in the economy. He's potentially, there's poverty which is going to come with that, which has a whole slew of health issues. There's suicide issues. It's not money, it's life versus life. But let's make a phrase, oh, it's money versus life. Now you're a bad person because it's about, you care about money more than life. So you made a phrase, you oversimplify, right? Um, pro-life, pro-choice. Is that really what it's about? Is that really the argument about abortion is pro-life and pro-choice? Really? That's not the argument. The argument is very simple. What is the, what is the true definition of a fetus inside of a mother? Is it part of the mother or not? That's the whole shine. It is part of the mother. The mother can do whatever she wants. It's her body. And if it's not, it's, 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 it's murder. It's not pro-life versus pro-choice. That's not the argument. So, but, but let's make it into a phrase. So I'm pro-choice. Choice is a good thing. And now I don't listen to you. Okay, white privilege. That's the good one nowadays. You'll never understand what a black man went through. So therefore, you can't. You can never say anything to him. There's nothing you can teach him because you're you have white privilege. So I can make you a bad person if you have a white privilege. It's an evil thing. That I've listened to you anymore. But what, what have we done? We've created a narrative that I don't have to listen to you. And it works on the other side also. It works on both sides. But that's not how a human being grows. You know, you know when you grow, my wife and I did the, um, why is marriage like that? Why is marriage that the, that the husband and wife are so different? 
Wouldn't it be easier to marry people who are just like you? So the Chiluch says, that's the Chiluch says, you know what the Eastern Mishnah is? Because instead of marrying someone who's different than me, I'm going to have to learn to accommodate and recognize other ways of looking at things and learn to resp- and expand my horizons. I'd rather marry someone who's just like, thinks just like me. And I don't have to become a better, different person. So but the Russian doctor made, the doctor made marriage with someone who's opposite from you and different from you. Because this way, you're going, that's why there's some variety of, of relatives. Because even with different, different genders, they think fairly similarly. Because they come from the same background. You can't marry someone for the same bad. If there's someone who's different from you totally, has different life experience, and they're going to bring a whole new understanding to the table, and you, by learning to respect that, will become a person who has respect for the people. And you'll be, your understanding of life will be expanded. So that's something explains the Islam Mishkazah. It's a fascinating understanding of Mishkazah. Okay. Okay. Social experiment. So let's try the social experiment argument. So the famous mice, I heard this one from Russell Miller, who's now in Calgary, used to be in Pittsburgh. So Russell Miller said that um, there's something which is known, in, in, if you, go, you can Google it, called Borneo effect. Borneo, experiment Borneo effect. So the US Army uh, Corps of Engineers comes into the country of Borneo during World War II, and there is a mosquito problem, which carry malaria. Okay? They carry malaria. So what's the solution? DDT. Kill out all the mosquitoes. What can you bad with that, right? Anything bad with that? You're helping society. Now, what happened was, really, what the reality was like this, is that the locals had developed, for the most part, an immunity to malaria. But the mosquitoes killed the rats. Well, when they killed all the mosquitoes, the rats looked the right. And the rats, they mostly live in grass houses. Everything's grass houses collapsed because the rats are eating up the houses. So that's the phrase that they use nowadays for an unex... There's going to be an effect which is unexpected. Nobody expected that the problem of spraying DDT is going to create that people won't have houses. If I would ask you to predict that possibility, you would say, I don't know, why should I think that? She says the following fascinating story. In, in Poland, two world wars, there was a decree of national education. Every, there was a truant law, which was enforced very significantly. Every, Jewish, every child had to go to school six days a week, including Shabbos. There's over 10,000 young boys and girls who were being Michael Shabbos every single Shabbos. So we came along with this great idea. Let's create a day school. If there was Kedorman, we're not giving any of the education which is required by the states. Let's create a day school where they teach math, etc. And we'll, and we'll be able to control that there won't be class on Saturday. And save Kilo Shabbos from 10,000 young people. The Belzareva said no. Because even though it looks like it's going to solve the problem now, you do not know what effect it's going to have by changing the institution called the Hegel. We don't know what's going to happen. It sounds like a good idea, but what's going to happen down the road? 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, what's going to be the result? I don't know. So, my, so his anemia said, I can't do this. So he said, he was scared of this Borneo effect. It sounds like a perfect idea. There's nothing wrong with it. We thought it through until we realized we didn't think it through. Great idea. Abolish the police. You won't have police brutality, etc. 
So what do you do when somebody's house is being burglarized? Call the social worker and have him speak to the, to the, to the God. Of, you don't want to do that. So that might work. It might not. You might have a situation where all the people of, of, of means will move very far away and hire private guards and live in closed communities. And you lose all your taxes in your city. A possibility. I don't know. But I still want to live in a city where every time there's a problem, I, I keep getting burglarized. What's the results going to be? It's a social experiment. But I'm so smart, I know what the, so, what the results of the social experiment are going to be. That's the thought process. Somebody tell me, no, it's not a good idea. I don't listen to him because he's a racist. Are they wrong? Are they wrong with the police are probably we said that I was there is a problem with the police. Not only to blacks, but to whites also. Is and you can give the whole argument, you know, black and black crime is worse than black white and black crime, and the, it's 18 and a half more times chance that a policeman will be killed by a black than a black will be killed by a policeman. I know the, the, the arguments. What is it work? Well, these people are people are right now in a state of the next point is people are in a state of emotion. They're hearing pain. They're hearing, yes, it's, I'm afraid to go into white neighborhood because the police is going to give me a hard time. You know what they're not hearing? The most people, many whites are scared to go in the back there because they're afraid they're going, to have, they're going to be the victim of crime because they're going to beat up on the whites. Is that true? I don't know whether it's true or not. But it's a fear that people have. And if you're t talking emotions, let's talk all emotions. No, this emotion is valid, this emotion is not valid. But this emotion is so strong that it's, we have to listen to that emotion. Is that a bad thought? No, it's not a bad thought at all. I respect it tremendously. They're not complaining about George Floyd. They're complaining about all of the, this being this being emblematic, this being a symbol of all of those times that we feel uncomfortable in a white neighborhood because there's some being looking away. You know what? That's true. So what's the solution to that? Is it to get rid of the police? Train the police better to be more cultural? Maybe it's better to, it's to teach me how to carry myself in a way that the police won't suspect me. That's not my responsibility. That's their responsibility. So this is the challenges we have. Okay. What is the purpose of government? Next point. Mishra says, in August, he just read a time below. Without government, people will swallow each other alive. So the primary purpose of government is to protect the, 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 the citizens. Government is not here to be, a, be part of a social experiment. Or not. Famous Mokhlogos, you know, Henkin and uh, the, the uh, Marshag, Mar I think. Rent control in New York City. You've heard of it? Who heard of rent control in New York City? Right. Okay, New York City, right. Manhattan, great, great area. You have people living there who don't have great income, living in an apartment. I realize if I just raise the rent, force them out, I can move in and make a lot more money. Rent control, you're not allowed to raise the, the, the rent more than a certain amount per year. Whatever it was in 1963, right now you can only have 1.25% more than that, right? So Ravarin's mother, Lala uh, Shalom, right? was living in an apartment in Manhattan in one of these high-value areas. She's paying rent less than any federal guy is paying in Manhattan than in Silver Street today. Rent control. Does Halacha, does Halacha respect the concept of rent control? Rehantan said yes. You find in Halacha that commodities, you're not, can't, you can't raise the price of commodities over their expenses more than a certain amount. Or from the of the third parent. Bread, etc. Commodities, you can't, it means the, the best and will control. 
Okay, so what, how much do you control? Who gets to decide to control? Who? Who's empowered to control? So the best thing is empowered to control. It's empowered to control. What about a government? Good argument. I'm not sure. This is part of his art. This is this play because in Halacha, whether red, red control is, is, is something which Halacha respects. Okay. Okay. The Bukhonin said that Mashiach is going to come only when all different types of government, governments are proven to be ineffective. All man-made government is proven to be ineffective. And the only government which is going to be a true valid government is the Kadaforah government. So monarchy is pretty much proven to be ineffective. It was abused tremendously. Abused tremendously. Communism is pretty much proven, proven to be ineffective. Tremendous abuses which come with it. What about democracy? Capitalism, democracy. Well, maybe she gets around the corner. Because I think we're seeing that this idea of empowering people, they're not listening to the constituency anymore. They're not listening to the majority of what people are saying. They're taking their own ideas and forcing them on the people. That's exactly what abuse is. And that's what I think we're seeing right now. What was Mashiach? What is Mashiach? Mashiach is a person who's extraordinary. Respect for Mashiach is tremendous. The Pasuk describes him as a person who has an intuition of right or wrong, which is to the point he can smell right and wrong. The, 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 the writer says the reason why they killed Bar Kokhba is because he didn't have that sense of smell. Mashiach was able to, to whiff, physically smell whether this person was lying and who, who really got deserved the money. Marach Vidoyan, the Gemara says. And since he couldn't do that, he's not Mashiach and they killed him. You know what it tells you? That, that man is extraordinary. The man is extraordinary. The man is an extraordinary being which can accomplish tremendous things and do tremendous good to the point that his intuition of right and wrong. And we look around our society and say, you know, it doesn't look like it to me. People are getting it all over the place. We lost sight of what it means to be the greatness of man. Mashiach has to re has to recondition us, convince us, invigorate in us the reality, understanding that human beings are extraordinary. Last point. Okay, um, I know it's getting late. Um, actually, two more points. But. So, I had a conversation with the father. The father's talking to me that uh, he's more uh, more right wing, etc. His daughter is much more left wing, etc. His sons are much more right wing. You know. Right. And there's a lot of debates, politics, political debates in their home. So my, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, mother-in-law was a Republican, my father was a Democrat, and they had an uns, they had an unspoken conversation that that politics was not discussed in the house. It's very good for Shalom Bias. Right. So I, I started the conversation with, with the person. Said, you know, the, the truth is, terror is a balance. And I'm, I'm going to talk to him about the balance. Some in the middle. But not all Jews have that balance. And the people who look for the Torah to give us, to respect the Torah, to give us the answer, and when we see the Jews are not doing that, the Roman Jews are not doing that. So it's a saying, do not judge Judaism by the Jews. But the Misa, what's your shot? 
So there are plenty of thrown, thrown people into opinions. The racists, and the ways which are disparaging to other people, whether it's the Goyim, whether it's the blacks, etc. So then I had an advantage, and I went to public school so, um, to Shaker Heights, racially integrated. Um, before that, I actually lived in Cleveland Capital. And I, so we've heard that story, so my stories, you know, I've been in a welfare project, well, three white families in a, in a welfare project of hundreds and hundreds of non-white, read African-American, read black families. Um, and that's how I grew up. And of course, they assumed that I was a racist because I was white. And they wanted to beat me up because of the two things, you know, I said myself, my siblings, etc. Until they got to know me, they got to know them. And we became very good friends. It was a welfare thumb place. It's a welfare project, East, 100, East 110th Woodlands. Those of you who know anything about Cleveland, but this was in 1968, 69, 1969, during the riots. The national headquarters for the black nationals was less than a mile away from my home. Nice neighborhood. So uh, you know, my solution was that I became friendly with some of the guys in charge of the games. And uh, they protected me. How they do that? They do their homework for them. Um, it's a good arrangement. It's called paying for protection. But instead of money, because I didn't have money, that's why it's a welfare project, right? So I belong to a black game. I used to have to march with them. My sister used to think it was the funniest thing. And you see, it's like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Right, going along. Nicest guys in the world. They didn't have fathers. They didn't have people to teach them right or wrong. They were bad people. They were stupid. They, never, they didn't apply themselves because, like, what, what's the worth? Chances are, the greatest source of death amongst black males in the ages of 1534 is homicide. You're gonna get killed anyway, so like, why waste my time studying man? My mom, my, my mom wants me to get a, you know, get a degree for school, so okay, I'll get a degree, no problem. Ryan Gold will do the homework, right? The testing was a little more challenging, and you know, I passed. They were bad people, those two people. I went to yeshiva, I went to yeshiva. Blacks are stupid. Then you have to wear blacks either. How do you know? Do you, do, were you ever found with any of them? Did you ever talk to them? Like, who gave you the right to assume that? They're telling them the key. Well, the lesson telling them the key. I have a Rambo, which is a master lesson telling them the key. Oh, you, you stop it. It's, you sat and studied the issue. But, you know, you, you, you started with your racism, you started with your bigotry, and you heard there's a Rambo which says you're right. Uh, hello. I, I, I recently had a visit somebody in downtown the, you know, Baltimore written by John, Johns Hopkins. So they brought some we could call them house. It's a few blocks away from the hospital. You have to, you know, from the house, meet with the parents to the hospital to meet with the child at nighttime. So, so, so you, know, you can call the guards and walk. What are the guards? It's a, it's a bad neighborhood. I don't know, I lived in that neighborhood before. If you walk and you say hello to everybody, you know, right? Everybody, they'll say hello back to you. And that's exactly what I did. You know what? Most people said hello back. One guy did, he gave me a look. I said, you know, 
Give him a look back. Have a good night. Smell at him. What about the weird white guy? Like, but like, I have to live with fear because I live in a black neighborhood. I, you know, somebody called me now. So what do I think about the riots? Because you know about it because you lived in this, these those type of neighborhoods. He said, Yeah, they're nice people. They weren't given a chance. Society has dealt with them in a way which is which is unfair, and it exists in the film community in a strong way, and it's wrong. The same way nobody likes them when we have pressure. All Jews are very well. All Jews are in control. All Jews are very smart. I'm not so smart. As a matter of fact, I, I can't understand what one word of Gomorrah. But you're very smart because you're a Jew. That's not nice. It's also prejudice and racism. So why is it okay by doing it with somebody else? You don't like them because it's up to you. You're doing it with somebody else. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's Gomorrah and Shabbos. I don't know. If you don't like it, it somebody else. We are diminished as human beings when we do that. So my last thought is we shouldn't judge Judaism because of the Jews, but the Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says human beings are the people. The Torah was to take care of the non-Jews. There's a scene in which the world pressure put in our world because we have terror. And they know we have something special. And what's our Christ? The verse talked about we're in We have a Christ to be a light to the nations. Like the nations, not that everything they say is right, but there are two sides. And to think and to debate and have an open mind and hear the two sides. Okay, it's a, lo it's a long schmooze. Um, it's